there, you're listening to Combo Breaker, a one-two punch of enthusiasm. Each week, I present a tiny interruption to share something that I'm digging on. I'm your host, Cole, and you can check out okretro.zone to stay on top of new podcasts, videos, and more. So, here we go! Real quick, I just wanted to thank you all. I've been dealing with some health stuff that's made podcasting a little difficult, but we're back. We should be regular on Wednesdays, and your girl here has been playing Mario Maker 2, and spoiler alert, loving it. Uh, but thank you for hanging out with OK Retro, for cranking out some stuff again for you to enjoy, and, uh, yeah. So, this week, I want to talk about Eurovision. I finally got my act together and watched the grand final from Eurovision 2019. So, this episode of the podcast, I'm sharing a little bit of Eurovision history, my experience with the phenomenon, and what's happened the past few years or so. So, Eurovision, or the Eurovision Song Contest, is an international songwriting contest that happens annually. It has been broadcasted each year since it started in 1956. And to attempt to not spiral down a rabbit hole, uh, but that's post-World War II. The world is rebuilding, why not rebuild friendships and secure those that you have with song, right? That's pretty dope. Uh, but Eurovision was based on an Italian co- uh, competition, the San- Sanremo? Sanremo? I don't speak Italian. Uh, music festival. And if you think about it, they were broadcasting to a bunch of different countries, let alone across Italy, uh, at the beginning. And they didn't have satellites, at least as we know it. They were using microwave technology. I don't, I don't know how that works. I make, well, I warm up burritos with microwave technology, right? That's bonkers. And kind of a little aside, I feel really silly. I remember living in Ireland in 2008 and 2009, and I remember vaguely watching Eurovision. I was at a friend's flat. I didn't even know what we were watching. I just sat there. We enjoyed drinks. We hung out. I, I most certainly didn't recognize it as like the, the masterpiece that it is or was. Um, my actual conscious foray into uh, Eurovision started in 2016. Uh, I have since seen older years with the power of the internet, uh, but being able to watch it live is honestly... <sighs> I'm going to say so powerful, I, I can't think of a better word for it, because when it's live, you know you're cheering on all the contestants with, like, millions of other people across the globe, uh, and that, that's really fucking cool. I'm just dropping a lot of F-bombs because I'm so passionate this week, I don't know, I've been gone a little bit, and now Europe is singing me songs, and I'm, I'm all caught up, uh... But in recent years, there's usually a theme, like, come together, all aboard, dare to dream, which is cool that there's potentially a theme that can pull through all these songs, some more overt than others, but it's definitely, um, I guess, I I, I would say it's not, um, mandatory. That's, that took a long time to get to that word. Um, but Eurovision itself is kind of like a, a positive, unified front for those countries, right? Uh, but there's so many people throughout the world that are following this contest and at the grand final sing the songs along with the performers. It's literally amazing that on top of the imbibing a little too much, maybe leading to a, a even more splendid roller coaster of four hours. So if you're anything like me, your first Eurovision experience, like legit experience, is filled with too much brie, whiskey, and you randomly choose a country slash performer that you'll die on a hill to protect, uh, and then you 
watch it a year or two later and you still can't deny it's a great performance, but maybe you question why you were so passionate in the first place. But judging is a thing of Eurovision. You have the performances and then they're judged to have the one true Eurovision star, if you, if it were. So, I will admit the judging can be triggering and not because of the judging part, but it's the, the dulling out of points. So, uh, buckle up for an hour and a half or so of people making bad jokes like, Hello, Israel, London's calling. <sighs> but yeah. So, let's backtrack a little. Eurovision, the grand finals, is where the finalists perform. So, it's like 26 performances back to back. So, that means not every country makes it to the finals. I believe there's, I want to say, 48 voting countries that participate. Um, and you have, like, Israel and Turkey and uh, Australia as well, who, depending, oh, I guess Australia is definitely not in Europe, but that's, don't worry about it, okay? Don't, stop, stop worrying about it. Uh, they've already made it through the competitions within their own country, and they've been chosen to represent their home uh, in the semifinals and finals. So the host country is that of the winner of the previous year. So if I'm from Sweden and I won, everyone would come to Sweden for Eurovision the next year. And then if someone won from Italy, we would go to Italy the following. It's crazy, right? So it kind of moves around a bit. But if you're Ireland in the early 90s, you're going to host four out of five Eurovisions in five years, which is flipping bonkers. What's also, I would like to note, Celine Dion performed in Eurovision, so did ABBA. They did Waterloo. That's kind of how they, like, popped off. My brain wants to say Blondie, but that's not right. Uh, but Cascada as well. After all the performances are completed, there is always something that bridges performances into judging, because the votes have to be cast. Uh, I love 2016. I go back to that as my first Eurovision. But the hosts were really dynamic throughout the show. Uh, but in between... Uh, set changes and then in between the performances and judging they did like a history of Eurovision where they talked about like Waterloo they did a, a joke song talking about the, how to make the perfect song for a Eurovision hit called Love Love Peace Peace um, which is very good you can find that on YouTube uh, a year or two ago Justin Timberlake performed um, after everyone this year Madonna and oh, sidebar JT fucking amazing I mean hello come on I'm I'm not like a, a a JT fan necessarily. He's cool, whatever. I'm neutral, but Madonna, I listen to Madonna. The Immaculate Collection, play it more often than I like to admit. But her performance, outfit, staging, everything was so bad. I hated it. She also got political, which you could argue Eurovision is or isn't the place for it. But I didn't like the vibes. You know, like I go to Eurovision to be like, fuck yeah, we're all cool. Let's be cool. Let's set politics aside and we can all like hang out and be chill. She, she also was saying super flat, but whatever. She's Madonna. She can do whatever she wants. She's great. Whatever. I was very disappointed. But this year was really cool for 2019. Um, I'm just going to jump into the cool bit by Madonna jettisoned. Um, it was really cool, though, because previous winners or um, well-scored performers performed each other's songs with their own flair. So Conchita Wurst, who won for Austria in 2014, performed Mon's song Heroes, that won in 2015. And then it just kept going around to other performers. Um, 
doing like their own renditions of each other's songs and i thought that was really really cool especially because eurovision has you know uh repeat offenders where mon's from sweden he's shown up now and like this is his third whether he's performing uh i think russia he performed a few years ago as well 2016 maybe i don't know but you sometimes see the same people back to back and it's kind of cool and it's it felt very homey in a way like these people like they probably don't know each other but it just felt really cool to like see them watching each other do each other's songs i don't know it was cool also i since i mentioned conchita worst the winning song was called rise like a phoenix and it's like it's like uh it's a james bond opening song meshed with a final fantasy summons and i say that because eurovision is about music and pageantry and if you play video games eurovision is a collection of final fantasy summons thank you to the mcelroys uh for for that one i believe griffin mcelroy made the comparison initially a few years ago about eurovision but it's incredibly correct with rise like a phoenix it's it's like yuna summoning ifrit like it's badass you're waiting in other performances you're waiting for shiva to show up it's dope as hell do we get a pulsive on that dope cool but okay you have the performances and after the jt's and the madonna's you get to the judging and the judging is well it's judging but in recent years it's broken into two categories you have the judges vote that comes from the delegates assigned to each country i don't know who they are but they have their own fancy vote don't know how they get this designation whatever so the judges vote gets distributed first there's a there's a fun score system that the highest points you can get from the judges is 12 uh i believe does it go 1 to 10 and then 12 i don't know shit i should have done my homework I'm usually so um I've I've indulged myself by this time that I'm just yelling at the TV with enthusiasm and panic. But we go through the almost 50 countries dealing out points and you know it's interesting. You'll see some countries will full out snub others just because of their like political relations. Sometimes they'll surprise you and 12 points just goes to a random throwaway and that sounds bad to say but You know what I mean? We have a few performers that kind of, you know, get the lead and you have some stragglers at the end who may only have 20, 30, 40 points and all of a sudden they get a 12 and you're like, "Cool, that's rad" because they probably did have a really great performance, but you know they were doing that just so someone wouldn't get those 12 points. And that's kind of weird. But after you do the judges points, you have the public vote, which usually comes in like a fucking wrecking ball. So you have your your five people in the lead and the public vote could just like rattle all of that. Sometimes it'll toss that person further up, but usually there's one or two that just come and blow them out of the water. So you get the winner, they're declared victorious, they perform their song one last time and then Eurovision heads to that winning country for the next year. It's cool. It's it's very weird to have like these back-to-back performances where you're like banger after banger and there might not be they might not all be bangers, but you have some good songs and then you just kind of wait for like an hour and a half and you're just sitting there and you're getting mad at hello israel london's calling i know i said that before but like it literally is on an hour and a half so you have like this 
all this momentum and then you kind of slump into like numbers being thrown out and then just to be like cool you win boom go perform and then you're like like throttled into enthusiasm again it's really really weird but it's cool it's so cool though so if you're thinking about jumping into the eurovision game i'd recommend 2016 uh it was the first one to be broadcasted in the u.s um, I generally watch the British feeds, though, um, but the hosts were great. Uh, you get a little bit of uh, Eurovision history, which is why I recommend it. It's also situated back a little bit, so if you kind of get some traction with Eurovision, you have a few to kind of pull you up until 2020. Um, but th- if you think about it, that's a lot of Super Bowls to pack into one year. But I think 2016, like with the history of Eurovision, also has... Uh, a good um, sampling of like different songs and uh, offerings that Eurovision could potentially have. So, homework: check out Eurovision. Uh, I do have some recommendations that are ones that have, uh, I think, are. I don't want to say representative of Eurovision, but they definitely stick out in my mind when I say the word Eurovision. Um, Conchita Wurst's Rise Like a Phoenix from 2014 is just amazing. But then we have Portugal and Sweden from 2017 that I absolutely love. There's also Cyprus and Australia from 2018, which are also some of my more recent jams. Ooh, and Italy from 2019 is also very good. And I feel absolutely horrible for not saying their names, but I figured this was easier for you to search on the internets, but I'll also put links down in the show notes for ease. Um, all these songs show like totally different sides of Eurovision or or what the potential song could be. I've seen a dude come out of a piano and then the piano later caught on fire. I've seen monster guar-like bands perform, people on giant posts whirling around, some like Cirque du Soleil stuff, a dude looked like a horse. Uh, some band that was kind of like okay go but it wasn't okay go and then i think it was spain a few years ago who was like having like a beach party i don't know it was weird there was a a dude dressed as a gorilla uh i don't i'm probably not selling it now am i You, you just shit happens man so i hope you scope out eurovision it's a long show if you like events like the super bowl and want to be propelled by positive vibes and some pretty good songs pull up a chair uh it it genuinely is really special i think and grab your favorite snacks and food and kind of hunker down and and i hope you enjoy thank you for listening to combo breaker for a one-two punch of enthusiasm i hope you enjoy this week's podcast and if you did i hope you share it with a friend and if you want to share something that you're digging on shoot an email over to weareokretro at gmail.com with combo breaker in the subject line and follow me on the social medias at we are okay retro to see new stuff that's coming out and what I'm up to. Like I said, I'll be back cranking out stuff and kind of overhauling all the things. Uh, the past three months have been a little bit brutal on my productivity, but we're gaining traction. And uh, I hope you all have a fantastic week. I'll see you next time. <laughs>